All right, to God's word we go. Uh, John chapter five, and we start in verse 31. John five, verse 31. Jesus speaking, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not, the testi- not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, when you guys go through uh, TSA, the uh, security uh, stations there at the airports, uh, I don't know what you do, but my attitude is terrible. Um... I hate how crummy flying is and how fun it used to be. It used to be like you were on a space shuttle and it was this cool adventure and you'd hug people at the gate. And flying, it's hard to believe for, for younger people that flying used to be kind of fun. Now it's a misery. Um, and it starts at the TSA. Um, so when I go through there, I, I, bald men always get profiled, although the beard is taking the edge off. The beard's taking the edge off. They're like, ooh, well, okay. Just if I do this, if I put the old friendly whiskers on. Then they kind of, hello, monsieur, you know, they kind of they give you a little extra thing. But when I go through that thing, I am compliant, y'all. I'm compliant. I'm taking off everything I need to take off. I'm uh, the shoes, the this, the this, and all that. And when I come through, I am inviting scrutiny. I'm like, go ahead, check me. I got fake knees. I'm going to buzz. Let's just get this over with. I mean, I know you want to get it over with. I want to get it over with. It's just your job. It's all good. But uh, I just, I invite scrutiny to kind of speed the thing up. I want to be searched. I want to be understood as not being a threat. And uh, I want to be uh, viewed as an excellent choice for an aisle seat on the emergency row. So I'm just uh, trying to be good the whole way through. I invite myself to scrutiny because I'm a team guy. And our main idea here today is this. The Bible, the gospel, and the Savior invite scrutiny Now, we're going to be focusing on the Savior today, but let's just talk about the Bible and the gospel. It's all one big package. Um, The Bible, throughout, names places and kings and genealogies and landmarks. Now, if you were going to make up some kind of fantasy story about some fictitious religion, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't have things that can be measured and discovered. And by the way, as we dig up more stuff, it validates the scriptures. We dig up more stuff, it validates the scriptures. Places we weren't sure of, now we find them, and it just validates the scriptures. You would never do that if you were making up some kind of fanciful story. You know, you set the thing in Middle Earth, you know, or some unverifiable place to keep your little scheme alive. But the Bible is true, and so the Bible invites scrutiny. Now, how about the gospel? The gospel also invites scrutiny. It bids you come. It bids you think about the truth about humanity. And uh, more personally, it bids you examine your own self, uh, the condition of your own heart, your own state of goodness or no. Um, The gospel claims that God is holy, 
and the gospel claims that uh, I am not holy. And the gospel claims that if uh, God is to remain holy, well, then he's got to serve justice. And uh, surely that principle makes sense. That, that, I think that's a very easy thing to, to say that's rational. The question is, is it true or not? And so the, the gospel invites scrutiny. Come take a look at it. Come consider it. Come pick it apart. Um, it makes sense rationally. Logically, but is it true actually? Well, read God's word and find out why Jesus died on the cross. That's my advice to you. Read God's word and find out why Jesus died on the cross. All right, so the, the, the Bible, the gospel, they invite scrutiny, but so does the Savior, and so that's our, our message today. The Savior invites scrutiny. Uh, the Bible, gospel, Savior invites scrutiny. It's all one big package because the Bible is the story of God's redemption of mankind for his own glory. All right, so let's look at our first of three points, the prophet's witness to Christ. You notice that I have prophet with an apostrophe S, talking about a prophet uh, because that's what the text is talking about. Now, there's a matter we have to look at before we get into um, the, uh, the prophet's witness. We're gonna have three different witnesses in our points, okay? But there's something that we gotta look at beforehand. It's in verse 31, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Now, this is actually kind of a hard verse to interpret, and uh, there's lots of scholarship that disagrees on some of the finer points, but I think the thing that everybody can agree on is this. Um, If you read verse 31, Jesus speaking, if I, Jesus, alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That's what your texts have. Um, That cannot be taken Literally. For instance, if Jesus walked up to somebody in the course of his ministry and he said, hi, I'm Jesus, I'm the son of God, I'm the savior of the world, that would be true. Even if he's the only one saying it, it's still true. So this cannot be literally true. Uh, Furthermore, um, just a couple of chapters ahead, you don't have to flip, but let me flip there real quick. In chapter 814, Jesus answers, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, I know where I'm going. So here he's saying, if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Well, that cannot contradict what this says. And Jesus is no dummy. And, and uh, John, the, John the, of course, that's a, no, he, Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord of glory. Uh, John is no dummy. Let's say that. John's no dummy. He hasn't forgotten what he's written. Um, and so it, it can't mean that if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, there's another interesting thing. Um, you may have noticed that I have an extra word in my text. And some of you may also. When I read my ESV copy, um, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Who has the word deemed in their text? All right, a few people. That's because you got an ESV uh, from 2007 or earlier. All right, so the ESV came out in 2001. It came out in 2002 in Britain. There was another printing in 2007, and in 2011, the ESV was, came out with another update, and the word deemed was taken out. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the ESV was the RSV um, greatly improved and revamped, all right? So the same, same uh, manuscripts, uh, better scholarship, and so on, all right? So, but when they did a 2011 ver- uh, um, revision, the word deemed was taken out of this verse, Now, I think the reason that deemed was put in there 
is that the translators were adding a little bit of commentary. And, and honestly, it's the conclusion that I've come to. I think that that's exactly what that means. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true by y'all. That's the idea. But I think it's commentary rather than um, um, good scholarship. And that's why the old version of the ESV is the only one that has that word in there. I mean, you can look up 25 translations and none of them have the word deemed in there. But, but, and that's why the ESV took it out. All right. So deemed is probably not rightly in the text, but I do think it's the right commentary. The best thing I read on this was by a guy named Hendrickson. Um, he said, um, the way to understand all this stuff is that Jesus is using the vernacular of the people. All right. So let's just stop there for a second. So your hearts are settled. Um, you know that the original manuscripts are inspired and inerrant, right? The original manuscripts, they're also called the original autographs, okay? That doesn't mean copies. That doesn't mean scraps. It means the original things that were written, that were given by God to a prophet, to an apostle, to a scripture writer, written down. Those are inerrant, accurate, inspired, perfect. Every translation from that ain't. I mean, uh, if you um, hand wrote a letter and said, hey, Jim, copy this out, I copy it out, it might not be exactly like yours. I might have taken a small letter and changed it. Uh, copies are not inspired and inerrant. The original autographs are, okay? And that's why you find little variances in here that don't dramatically change the meaning, but uh, are, 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 have human elements to them uh, nonetheless. All right, so all to say, that word deem doesn't really belong in there, but really, it really is the idea. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. And so this Hendrickson guy says, Jesus is speaking in the vernacular of the people. He's basically thinking ahead of the um, listeners, much like the Apostle Paul did when he wrote. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote, he's thinking, what are they going to think about next? What are they going to object to next? What's rolling around in their heart right now? And he writes ahead of them to, he to head off objections, all right? That's what Jesus is doing here. Um, he knows that, uh, you know, in Matthew 18, 26, it says, um, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. So bring a couple of witnesses, all right, if, if, if you're dealing with a brother in sin. Paul cites um, the same thing in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, and so does Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 5, 19. That's a guideline from Deuteronomy 19, 15, that uh, bring two witnesses. Don't just bring one, two or three witnesses, um, and that'll, that'll make a good testimony, well, Jesus knows all that. Jesus knows that they've got that Jewish background, and that's what they're thinking. And so he's saying, hey, if I make testimony about myself, you're not going to deem it to be true. Uh, you're going to say, well, <laughs> that's just you talking, Jesus. And so he's basically saying this, and I'm paraphrasing. He's basically communicating this idea. The Father sent me. I'm the Son of God. But if it's just me telling you, you'll twist the Old Testament to justify not believing in me. I mean, you'll turn it into rhetoric so that you don't believe in me. All that said, that's why Jesus goes on, all right? So to our sermon point about this prophet um, and uh, this witness to Christ, in verse 32, it says this. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, he's talking about John the Baptist, but it's interesting that he doesn't say John the Baptist yet. He's talking about John the Baptist. We know that because he mentions John in the very next verse. But imagine the people first hearing this. 
Um, they don't know quite what he's talking about. He's saying this in order for a reason. Again, he, um, he knows what's cooking in their brains, and he heads them off at the pass. He says, uh, yeah, there's another who bears witness. Is it about me? It's true. Uh, so he says in verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now, what he's referring to is this delegation in chapter one from Jerusalem that was sent to kind of inspect and see what John the Baptist was up to out in the wilderness, right? So John the Baptist was, uh, was uh, baptizing people, and uh, he was preaching this baptism of repentance. So uh, there's guilt in your heart. You need to be forgiven. It was a baptism of repentance. He is setting up the, 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 the way for Jesus Christ. And so religious leaders asked um, John the Baptist who he is, and he says, um, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Well, that's quite a testimony. And uh, the Jewish leadership heard it, and so did everybody. Now, if you would flip ahead, oh, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, flip left to Mark uh, chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 30. Um, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus says, um, so the religious leaders, chief priests and scribes and elders are talking to Jesus. And they say, what, by what authority are you doing these things, these signs and so on, these miracles? Uh, who gave you this authority to, uh, to do them? Jesus said to them, verse 29, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's the question. Religious leaders, was the baptism of John... From heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they say, we don't know, and Jesus says, well, I ain't going to tell you either. All right? (laughs) It's kind of cool. But the point, the reason I'm making you look at that is this. The people saw John the Baptist as some kind of prophet figure. And frankly, I think the religious leadership did too. Uh, he was recognized as some kind of um, Elijah figure that had come. He's got this following. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. He looks like a prophet. He's acting like a prophet. He's being received like a prophet. And people are flocking to him. And uh, it's a pretty strong testimony that uh, John the Baptist goes on to say, um, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. I'd say that's a pretty strong validation and a pretty strong testimony. And so the religious leaders go, well, we can't say that the John the Baptist wasn't legit uh, because the people all believe he is, and, uh, and he actually kind of might be. All right, so yeah, back to our passage here. Um, in verse 35, um, Jesus goes on to say about John the Baptist, um, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, uh, John was not the light, it says in, the, in our gospel of John. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And here it says that he was burning, a burning and shining lamp. Um, A.W. Pink says a really cool thing. He says that um, um, John the Baptist was burning inwardly and shining outwardly. That ain't a bad application right there, is it? Uh, that we should burn inwardly and shine outwardly. 
I think that is the Christian life and the Christian witness to the world. We burn inwardly, shine outwardly. And now listen, some people will try to make a big point about John the Baptist and that he was a burning and shining lamp. And they say, well, a lamp is different than the light because a lamp needs to be fueled. And uh, a lamp only uh, lights a small area and a lamp is lesser than the sun and all that kind of stuff. And it's got to be lit uh, rather than being lit itself and all that. And I, I get all that. However, um, you got to be really careful when you start to assign meaning to things because um, in Revelation 21, 23, um, it says that the temple's lamp is the lamb. So Jesus is called a lamp in Revelation. Uh, Jesus is the lamp of the new Jerusalem, all right? So you, you don't want to manufacture things just because it'll preach well, okay? The point is simply this, that people were drawn to John the Baptist after 400 years of prophetic silence like moths to a light. (laughs) There was so much commotion and flutter around this ministry of repentance and awareness of sin, and people were aroused. Now, um, I will apply it this way. Let's apply it this way. In a way, uh, this is kind of a teaching application because we still have a verse to go. I'm going to use a verse to make the application, but the questions are these. Why is Jesus making a defense for himself here? Why is he doing it? Um, somebody trying to kill him? Uh, is he in big trouble? Why is he trying to make a defense? Let me ask you another question. Kind of sounds like a sideways question. Why did Randy Ray drive up here from the middle of Mississippi to preach today? How about me? Why am I all sweaty and, uh, and singing songs and uh, working on a message and coming in here on a Sunday, why am I not home in bed, uh, you know, watching some political shows or something? Why, why, why am I here with you right now? Um, why, why am I still in the ministry year after year after year after year? Why do I plan on doing it until I drop? Here's the answer. Uh, verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. That's why Jesus is making a defense. That's, that's why Jesus is calling upon testimony and testimony and testimony, so that people might believe and be saved. That's the point. Jesus' mission is my mission. It's our mission. You know, I went into, I went into the ministry at age 34, not as some starry-eyed college graduate, but as some stunned person that, that couldn't believe that he was being called to the ministry. Why was I coming? Why was it such a big thing? You know why? That people might be saved. Now, that, there's more evidence to come, but friends, that is the end goal. Jesus' mission is my mission. Jesus' mission is your mission. We give evidences for the Savior. We, we, we scrutinize. We try to reason with other people. We, we try to love our children into this knowledge, N- not because uh, they get smarter, um, but that they might be saved. They might know the truth and be saved. All right, next point. Uh, the miracles witness to Jesus, to Christ. Um, verse 36, let's look at it. Um, the testimony that I gave is greater than that of John uh, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now, let me lean heavily on uh, J.C. Ryle's excellent remarks about Christ. Uh, uh, Richard, could I get that, uh, the fat book from the top? Thank you. Richard's helping me because if I turn around, I'm going to croak. Thank you. Um, th- this is a little lengthy, but 
I'll read it in a friendly way so you're thinking that I'm saying it. Um, but, but check this out. J.C. Ryle, this is, this is A.W. Pink quoting J.C. Ryle. All right, so everybody reads everybody and quotes everybody. But, but this, is, this is awesome. Uh, J.C. Ryle talks about the Lord, our Lord's miracles, our, his, the signs that he commits. And um, he, he mentions a few things about them. First, their number. They were not only a few, but they were many. That's kind of cool. How about this? Jesus' signs and miracles, their greatness. They were not little, but mighty in, in, uh, interferences with the ordinary course of nature. Don't you like that? Mighty interferences with the ordinary course of nature. You know what that means? Supernatural. Mighty interferences showing that something divine is happening, that somebody's got power over the created order. So there's lots of them, and they're really powerful. Um, they're also done publicly, not in, a, not in a corner, but in open day with many witnesses and often even in front of enemies. It's pretty cool. How about this? Their character. They were almost always works of love and mercy and compassion, helpful and beneficial to man, not just barren exhibitions of power. You know, Jesus wasn't going bow, bow, blowing things up. He was helping the hurting in front of others. Pretty cool. How about this? Um, they appealed to man's senses. They were visible. Uh, they would bear any examination. You know, in other words, they were under scrutiny. Um, how about this? Um, Oh, and yeah, Pink adds a few more. Uh, I love this. Their artlessness. Jesus' miracles were, there was an artlessness to them. You know what he means by that? There were no smoke machines. There were no lasers. I mean, that's what's happening in the church world today. You have to have lasers. Um, there, there was artless. Uh, Jesus just healed. It didn't have a, it wasn't like a Benny Hinn thing, you know? Um, how about this? Speaking of Benny Hinn, uh, they were efficacious. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh, yeah, they were much different than the miracles of healing performed today uh, by miserable imitators um, that, that put on a big show. Here's another one. Um, his cures were instantaneous, not gradual, complete and perfect, not faulty and disappointing, thus teaching us about uh, God himself. You know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I went up there in a wheelchair. Yeah, my leg, I think it felt better. Oh, did it feel better? I stood up. I did stand up. All these wonky doodle healings and stuff that, are, that go on out there. It wasn't like that. Anyway, that's just good, solid thinking about the miracles and signs of Jesus. Now, remember, ah, thank you. Verse 30, um, Jesus said, remember, he said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I'm under the authority of the Father. I do everything in cooperation with the Father. I do what the Father wants me to do. Christ is also carrying out the will of the Father through the signs that he does, the miracles that he does. They have evidential value. Um, they were divinely appointed uh, and enabled, and thus, obviously, were the pleasure and will of the Father. And so, they are a testimony to who Jesus is. It's the validation of Jesus in his ministry. Hebrews 2, 4 says this. God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's what, that's what Jesus was engaged in, the work of the Father. And in carrying out the work of the Father, those signs and miracles uh, those benevolent things, it's another testimony. So that John the Baptist is te uh, test testifying as a witness, and so is the Father through works. And again, here's the application. Jesus invited and invites people to scrutinize him. 
uh, to scrutinize his claims to be Savior, to scrutinize his claims to be divine God and equal to the Father. Big claims. He says, scrutinize away. Um, he uh, invites people to scrutinize his claim to be the singular way to a relationship with the only God. One way. That's a pretty big claim. It's a big claim back then. It's a big claim right now. Jesus is the only way. He says, bring it on. He invites scrutiny and says that there are many things to testify. And again, the point is, so that you may be saved. All right, last point. The Father's witness to Christ. Um, if you remember, in Matthew 3, 17, uh, Jesus was baptized, and it says, um, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And uh, how about this? At the transfiguration, uh, it goes on to say in Matthew 17, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Transfiguration. Audible voice of God. Now, that's, uh, that's a problem for this verse. Um, because uh, it says, um, um, oh, where is that? Uh, his voice you've never seen, his form you've never seen. Um, is, that, is, that, is that trouble? Not trouble at all. We just have to understand what's being said. We get a hint from a verse for next time. If you look at verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So 39, even though we're stopping at 39, uh, 38, 39 gives the clue to understand 38. It's not that, um, it's not that uh, Jesus is forgetting uh, what's happening in his earthly ministry. It is that he's saying the scriptures. Look at, uh, oh yeah, look at verse 37. The Father who sent me is born witness about me. Where? The scriptures. Uh, his voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one who, has, the one who has sent me. Uh, the point is that God has spilled out everything you need to, know, need to know about the Savior who's coming in the scriptures. The Father bears witness by all the prophetic things, the sacrificial system, all the kings, all the prophets, all the sacrifices, all the priests. Um, uh, everything that was set up beforehand to point to Jesus Christ, the Father testifies. Now, Here's an application for you, and we're going to bring it on home. Um, I don't know about you, but um, this is just a powerful refrain. And uh, it's, it's, it's something I think that's easy to feel. Um, if you look at verses 38 and 39, um, let me just, just bear with me. Look at 38. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, let's flip verse 38 around. You do not believe the one whom he has sent because you don't have the word abiding in you. <laughs> you don't have the word abiding in you for you do not believe the one who he has sent. You don't believe in the one who he has sent because you don't have the word abiding in you. Um, sounds like utter hopelessness, doesn't it? You, you don't believe because uh, you can't see and you can't see because you don't believe. Uh, that kind of a thing. That, that's utter hopelessness. Where, where is the hope? Um, where's the hope? Richard, can I have my last book there? Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Um, <laughs> this is awesome. Um, D.A. Carson says the gutsiest thing here. He says, uh, since Jesus speaks the words of God and the Jews do not hear God's voice in Jesus, 
And since Jesus is the very manifestation of God and the Jews do not see God in Jesus, it follows that they are not true Israelites. Wowzy. He's right, though. And I think, you got, I think you may know where this guy stacks up theologically. Uh, he thinks like I think. Israel and the church are one and 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 I mean, there's a true Israel. Some claim Abraham's our father. Mm-mm, not your father. The devil's your father. What are you talking about? I'm of Jewish heritage. I'm not talking about Jewish heritage. I'm talking about neither male nor female, uh, slave nor free, uh, g- Greek nor Jew. I mean, I'm talking about the true Israelite, the believer in Yahweh's Savior. That's the whole point. Jesus is Yahweh's Savior. Um, God opens up his word to us, and he's, he reveals himself to us in his scriptures, and that's a big part of um, being a redeemed person. You know, we talk about grace a lot, uh, and thus the cross, but uh, here's another great definition, oh, thank you, sir, of, uh, of many. Uh, God opens up his word to us. This is foolishness to anyone. New Testament, Old Testament, it's foolish to anyone who is not regenerated. I mean, they roll joints with this paper, but not us. To us, it's the wisdom of God. To us, it is the Savior. To us, it is the testimony that God makes about the Son that he sent to save us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for loving us, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the perfect Uh, manifestation, the perfect representative of the Father. What you say is what God says because you are God and you are operating under the authority and the joyful submission to the Father. What a great and profound mystery. And we thank you that um, we're reliant upon the Holy Ghost to show us what's true. Uh, Indeed, what God says, what um, his prophet uh, uh, announces, even what the miracles say, are gibberish to us unless you've made us alive. So thank you, O God, for opening up our understanding, giving us life that we might see and be rescued from a very hopeless place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.